Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. It was S.D. Gord, the missionary statesman over 100 years ago, who said these words, all the fruit of mission and evangelism are merely the gathering up of the results first won in prayer. And I believe that. I've been all over the world. I've never sensed the darkness as deep or the hopelessness as strong as I feel in the Buddhist world. One billion people. 86% have never even met a follower of Jesus yet. As a friend recently said to me, and this is so true, he said, they are so lost and yet trying so hard through the pursuit of truth, through their metaphysical beliefs, through reincarnation, through um, trying to make merit In Lao Buddhism, women are told that to reach nirvana, you first have to be reincarnated as a man before you can ever think of being something more. Diabolical, satanic belief systems that keep over one billion people in darkness. And I don't know about you, but I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe I don't even need a passport to make a difference in the world. There's no place on the planet where I can't make a difference every day from my knees if I believe in the power of prayer. And I'm simply asking today for you to prayerfully consider, I don't don't even know if I want you to pray about it. (laughs) Would you please become one of the uh, the 25,000 intercessors for the Buddhist world with us? There's a website here, ctm.world. If you want to take out your phones right now, <laughs> type it in, go right ahead. But, but once a week, you'll get a simple update on how to pray for something happening in the Buddhist world. And how cool is it? How powerful is it? One day, if 25,000 people are praying about the same thing on the same day at the same time, I believe in the exponential power of prayer. So I'm asking everybody here, ctm.world, take a minute and join Becky and I in believing God for a new wave of 150 missionaries, for new beachheads through Business's mission, and, through 25, and for 25,000 intercessors to touch the Buddhist world. That's the website. Go right ahead and, and join us, will you please? All right. That's, that's my heart. Now we'll get into the word. Becky and I will be outside at a table after service. We'd love to talk to you a little bit more about Buddhism. There's some really cool little comparison cards comparing Christianity and Buddhism and basic beliefs and all that. There's ways to play for, pray for various nations, little cards for various nations in the Buddhist world. You can pick one of the, those up as well. But, but God's up to something in the Buddhist world, and we get to be a part of it. Amen? And Grace Crossing, as you support us, you're all a part of it too, so thank you very much. Well, the last time I was with you, we were in the longest psalm, (laughs) Psalm 119, all right? And I, thankfully, we did not read the whole thing, amen? 176 verses, I believe. I thought we were going into the shortest psalm today, but it's not. We're going to get into Psalm 133, and we're going to read the entire psalm, all three verses this morning, okay? So uh, let's look at Psalm 133 today. 
How good and pleasant, the psalmist says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together or dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe. It is as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's where unity is among the people of God that God literally commands his blessing of life forevermore. Today, we're gonna to talk about biblical, biblical unity, very simply, it's power, it's purpose, and it's practicality. Maybe you don't associate unity with practicality and practical steps and opportunities, but power, purpose, and practicality. And Lord, again, we just bow before you and say, uh, Holy Spirit, you're the ultimate teacher in the room today. Uh, bring the living truth of your living word into the good soil of our hearts to bring forth a great harvest for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 65 years ago, Hungary was a part, was a communist nation, a part of the Soviet bloc, steeped in communism. The Soviet government wanted to, throughout its satellites, begin to eradicate the influence of the church, eliminate the church, diminish the influence of the gospel across the communist world. So the Soviets sent a top interrogator to a city in Hungary that had a strong church to try to divide its leadership and to discredit the ministry. What they did not know when they sent this top interrogator was that months earlier, the seven elders who oversaw this church had a terrible disagreement. They were deeply divided. They were deeply disunified. They fought for weeks and weeks and weeks, leaving a church broken, confused, and suffering because they were not getting along. But then one, and it only takes one, then one brother humbled himself. He went to the others and begged forgiveness for his part in the division. Suddenly there was breakthrough. There was restored unity. There was teamwork emerging again. Now months later, enter this communist interrogator. Lies, accusations, innuendo, half-truth. He did everything he could to, to divide them. But as he took them one-on-one -on -one and, and interjected all this half-truth and innuendo, he repeatedly got the same response from all seven guys. Here's what he heard. I don't believe, I don't believe my brother would say that about me. And if, even if he did say it, I already forgive him. Over and over again. I don't believe my brother would say that about me, but even if he did, I already forgive him. Absolutely frustrated, he brought all seven of them together in a room. And he demanded to know why they loved each other so much. They shared the gospel. And that the love they have for one another was the overflow of the love that God had showed them. And soon it was the communist interrogator on his knees, giving his life to Christ, embracing that gospel and joining the church he was so avidly trying to destroy. The power of biblical unity.
when, when, I, when I was reminded of this story recently, I thought of an old song, a Wywammer Twyla Paris penned maybe 30 years ago, dating myself again, but I think it speaks to the issue of biblical unity and the consequences of when we don't walk in it. She penned these words, if by love we show the world that we are his disciples, I can't take it lightly, I commit my love to you. And I will tear down all the walls I built with my foolish pride and I will crucify it. Because when we are divided, I can hear him crying. And I can't be a part of breaking his heart anymore. So brother, sister, I commit my love to you. And if you know, if you, and if you have um, offended me, you know you're already forgiven. And I will see the best in all you do and I will defend you when they come against you. Because when we are divided, I can hear him crying and I can't be a part of breaking his heart anymore. So brother, sister, I commit my love to you. That's the cry and the commitment of biblical unity. That's walking in the depth of life together that brings the life of God and the blessing of God on individuals and families and churches. Like those Hungarian elders, I think probably in this room, we've all experienced the pain of disunity, the hurt of broken relationships, the, the division, and I'll call it the prideful distancing from people and each other. Disunity shatters and it scatters and it breaks the heart of God. Disunity damages the reputation of God before a watching world. So I believe Psalm 133 was penned and placed in the Psalms to simply remind us as the people of God of the power and the blessing and the priority of biblical unity. We read in Psalm 133, and, and some believe that they sang this psalm every time the whole nation gathered together for their great feasts and festivals, reminding themselves of the unity that God expected of them and the blessing of God on them as they walked in the depths of biblical unity. It was a simple reminder of the intentions and the expectations of God for his people. It was a simple reminder of the source of their life and strength and the importance that unity played in that. Perhaps, perhaps we can say of biblical unity that unity for God's people was what hair was to Samson. It was the secret of their strength. It was the secret of their consecration and the secret of their strength. And that picture of Samson, eyes gouged out, head shaved, chained to two poles, saying, God, will you just come upon me one more time? Speaks to the depth of brokenness that can come when we choose to do things our ways instead of God's way. When we choose to walk in our wisdom instead of the wisdom of God and the unity that he calls us to. Verse one says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when the family of God walks together in unity. How good and pleasant. How many of you know that the opposite of that's true too, all right? How tough and unpleasant it is when relationships are broken and people just allow that to go on and on without addressing that, breaking the heart of God. How good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. Um, 
It's just right. It just, it just feels right. Unity becomes ground zero for peace and purpose in all of our, our relationships. How good and pleasant it is when people dwell. That's a rich word. To dwell means to stick together. To dwell means to stay put. To dwell means to make your home among each other. When Becky and I planted a church in 1993 on the east side of Cleveland, about 10 minutes from the Cleveland Clinic, suddenly a congregation grew of over 35 nationalities and 30 different denominational backgrounds. And everybody had a different idea of what church ought to look like and how church ought to be done. And to navigate ages and races to worship together, to love together, to serve together, to honor God together in that community, it got a little tricky from time to time. And we basically realized that for this church to work, it took a little bit of dying on everybody's part. Nobody got worship exactly the way they wanted it. Style, length across the board. You know, the, the, the preaching style, length, of certain, we could go on and on but it took it a little bit of dying on everybody's part because we had to love the vision that God was giving us of ages and races worshiping together more than the way we like church done. And we developed a very simple but important saying that speaks to the power and purpose of unity. And that saying was simply this, every, every membership class, every, every annual meeting every, across the board, we would say this, if our purpose doesn't unite us, then preference will divide us. If purpose doesn't unite us, you know what? That speaks to a marriage. That speaks to a family. That speaks to a church. If purpose doesn't unite us, then preference will divide us. Unity is ground zero for peace and purpose in all of our relationships. Verse two, he goes on to say, it's like the oil, <laughs> the high priestly oil on Aaron's head that comes down on his collar and goes down the length of his robes. You know that oil was a symbol in the Old Testament with the priest and with Aaron the high priest. It was a symbol of anointing, fresh anointing for the moment. And the church needs a fresh anointing for this moment that only flows out of God-given biblical unity. Oil. Both was a sign of consecration and empowerment. And we need both of those today. Consecration, fresh consecration, and fresh empowerment. And it's interesting, and I don't have time to get into a lot of this, but you go back into Exodus, and God told Moses how to put the anointing oil together. And it was very, very specific instruction, all right? Um, uh, it was exact specifications, the quantities and the elements and, and, and the oil was composed of, of five, five items that I think are pretty interesting. The first was myrrh. Myrrh is something used to heal and to ease pain. And then there was cinnamon. And cinnamon was, cinnamon was that fiery conduit that speaks to passion. And then cane, like sugar cane, cane, a sweetener that, that this w w would turn that which is bitter 
to sweet. Cassia was a fragrance that brought about an attractive fragrance of that anointing oil. And then olive oil was the fifth component and it spoke to healing and to the restoration of strength. And I, I think when, when the anointing of God and the unity of God rise up among the people of God, and I wanna use this word, okay? And we'll get back to it, but I wanna talk about active unity. How many of you know there's active unity and there's passive unity? Passive unity is like, I don't have an issue with them. Active unity is I'm diving into relationship in a deeper level so we can go for it and God together. These five elements speak to very practical. When the, when, when, when the unity of God rests among the people of God, th there's healing and easing of pain that comes. There's a passion that rises up among us. The bitter turns to sweet. We become more attractive to outsiders and those who have not yet discovered life and love in Jesus yet. And, and, and we bring healing and restoration of strength. The unity of the people of God brings all of these things to each and every one of us. These all speak to the fruit and the overflow and practical expressions of unity in our ministry together. So it's like the oil, the psalmist says, but it's also like the dew of Hebron. And, and this speaks to, you know, the dew. You know, I think of that scripture, your mercies are new every morning. It's like the dew every morning. Here's the dew. And it just settles on everything. And so this dew of Hebron speaks of daily refreshing and the faithfulness of God every day. And it's that dew that brings refreshing to vegetation and trees and everything. And this, this unity then is a non-essential if we're going to be fruitful as the people of God. Unity has a direct connection to our fruitfulness in God. But most of all, I think unity brings the blessing and favor of God himself. Because that Psalm and it ends up by saying, this is where God, another translation, commands his blessing. I like that. Life forevermore. Life forevermore among the people of God. So, so um, what does biblical un unity look like practically? Uh, Becky and I have also, over the last 10 years, led a four-credit missions college in the Cleveland area. That's how we've been taking students for a month at a time every year all over Southeast Asia all of our students would go every year as a part of their second semester. And as we discussed this topic one day with uh, these young collegians, um, they began to say, you know what? I guess unity is not just the absence of conflict. In other words, okay, we're good. Biblical unity is so much more than just the absence of conflict that biblical unity is proactive, it's intentional, and the collegians, as we sat around our living room, they just began to list out what we called unity builders and unity busters. <laughs> and we made this list together. And under unity builders, we came up with things like encouragement as a unity builder. Time. If we don't spend time together, how do we grow together? Isn't that right? Time is a unity builder. Service. Serving together and serving one another. Uh, thoughtfulness. Here's one that one of the students came up with. Unity builder, no secrets. Not allowing anything to go underground. Keeping everything above board, honest in our relationships. Unity builders, no secrets. Joy is a unity builder. Shared purpose is a unity builder. Unity busters, somehow they came up with this list a little bit quicker. 
Favoritism. Gossip and how we use our tongues. Tardiness, they talked about as a unity buster. I found that interesting. Uh, relational neglect. Um, individualism and independence. Fierce individualism. Pride is a unity buster. Agendas and attitude. Dodging responsibility. These are all things that diminish the unity of the people of God and as a result, cause us not to experience that blessing of life forevermore together. Um, and one of the things we began to talk about together was the fact when it comes to unity busters, that most of our people issues we have, people problems we have with each other, whether it be in a church and a family and a community or a, man, a marriage, they're, they're not relationship issues, they're God issues. When there's conflict and disunity, usually some, at least one person has an issue ultimately with God and not just with a person. You, you know where I'm going with this? You understand what I'm saying here? Because when everybody involved is seeking the Lord and is humbling themselves and trying to follow the word and, and live out all the, all the one another's, the 31 one another's in the New Testament, it's a lot easier to live in harmony and unity together. Usually when a marriage is falling apart, yeah, it's a marriage problem, but it's, it's, somebody's got a God problem as well. Somebody's not doing what the word says they ought to be doing as a husband or wife. So a lot of times our people issues are not just relationship problems, but God problems. Somebody is refusing God's word in ways and his prescribed path to healing. We also damage God-given unity of the spirit when in a family of believers, a small group, or whatever the case may be, we force our God-given convictions or our favorite doctrines on other people. We ran into a lot of this pastoring. God-given God convictions are precious and powerful. And if God has spoken to you clearly about something to do or something not to do, obey God wholeheartedly and the blessing is there. But if what God has given you a strong conviction on is not black and white, a do or don't in the word of God, then don't try to turn your conviction into everybody else's conviction. God may be leading life in a totally different direction than he's leading me. He may be asking things of life that he's not asking me in this season of life. And life may say, God has spoken to me and I know this is his will and this is what he's got for me. And he's given me this conviction. Randy, you need to do this too. God-given convictions or I call them pet doctrines. It, it's, it's not that it's not important stuff, but it's not the core of the gospel. Okay, here's an example. One day I get a phone call in my office. Uh, Pastor Young, yes. Um, hey, um, I live in the area and I've heard a lot of good things about your church. That's cool. I think I'd like to come visit. Come on, we'd love to have you. But before I come, I've got one question. Uh, at your church, do you believe in eternal security? What was he doing? 
he was placing a doctrinal preference above the unity of the church. Hear me. Somebody having and losing salvation is a big deal. But the church has been discussing and debating this one for over 500 years. And I say, if the church has been discussing this for 500 years, we're not going to solve it at our church. And you're not going to ride your doctrinal hobby horse here trying to conform everybody to your conviction on the topic. If you believe somebody was never saved, if I believe somebody has the possibility of losing their salvation, whether they never had it or they lost it, don't we have the same goal? Don't we want to see everybody loving Jesus? So let's just leave it. I had one guy say to me, it was the first of December. He said, I'll see you in January. I said, what's up? He said, you put a Christmas tree in the lobby. Don't you know Christmas trees came from Druid worship? And he just traced this whole thing back. And he made that a qualifier for walking in fellowship with the people of God. Billy Graham came to Cleveland in 1994. I had the privilege of being on the steering committee. Big Catholic city. Bishop Anthony Pilla one day said to the entire Catholic population in Cleveland, I think it's a good idea. Go listen to Billy Graham. For three nights, we packed out municipal stadiums, 70 some thousand people. You know, there was a group of believers, a denomination in Cleveland, that said, if the Catholics are coming, we're not coming. Those examples weren't in my notes. (laughs) I had the privilege of teaching in various places around the world. I run into this mess everywhere I go. And in just a second, we'll see why it's so important that we walk in unity together because ultimately unity is not just about us. It's not just about me. It's about lost people. Your unity as a church has a direct correlation to the reaching of the lost in this community with the gospel. So, let's not set qualifiers. You know, when we, when we elevate pet doctrines... above unity, we're basically saying what I believe about this is more important than the fact that Jesus died that we might be unified. My view of a topic is more important to me than the cross of Jesus that unites us. Jesus died that we might be unified. And at its core, biblical unity is how we best reflect the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in perfect unity together. And in John 17, when Jesus is praying in the garden, He prays that we would experience that same kind of unity together that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in heaven together. Now, 
Unity in John 17. You knew I'd get there sooner or later, isn't that right? So let's read just two verses of John 17. Here we go. Jesus is praying this in the garden. The night before he goes to the cross, my prayer is not for them alone. He's speaking of his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the world may believe that you have sent me. These verses are the heart of Jesus praying his last recorded prayer before Calvary. If you knew it was your night last night on earth. If it's your last night on earth, you would be with the people that are most important with you. You would be saying the things you think are most important to say. You would be praying the things you think are most important to pray. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's praying for our unity. He's in the garden and with great passion to the point of drops of blood on his brow. This is the cry of his heart. Father, make, catch this. Father, make them one unity that the world may know evangelism. Forever linking the unity of the church with the reaching of the lost with the gospel. Father, make them one unity that the world may know you sent me evangelism and witness. So our unity or lack of it is never just about us. It impacts the world we're called to reach as they watch us. Forever linking the unity of the church with the salvation of the lost. Remember those Hungarian elders? It was their coming back together in unity that resulted in the salvation of their Soviet interrogator. It would have never happened if they'd have kept their distance. Stayed divided and said, oh, we're good, we'll be okay. Here's, here's what I pull from that story and from the life of Jesus and from his teachings. It's very simple. But unity and humility attract the person and power of the Holy Spirit. When we walk in humility and when we walk in unity together, that attracts the person and power of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist said in Psalm 133, that's where God commands his blessing of life forevermore. Here's another phrase I picked up somewhere along the line and it's stuck with me. The devil doesn't fear a big church, he fears a united one. The devil doesn't fear a big church, he fears a united one. There's a word in the Hebrew language for unity and it paints a little word picture for us. The word is ekad, E-C-H-A-D. And it literally means to strongly fence or to strongly bolt the door. Now let me, let me paint a picture for you. Supposing um, we, we all, we're in a theater together, we all went to see a movie, okay? Or even in this sanctuary here, you know, we're, we're enjoying a Sunday morning service. We're enjoying an event together in an indoor facility. And suddenly, spontaneously, a big fire breaks out in here. What are we going to do? We're going to head to the exits as quickly as possible. Isn't that right? But what if when we got to the exit, we found the doors were bolted shut? Then what would we do? Hopefully, in that moment, 
we would all turn together, work together, and do everything we can to put out the fire. Isn't that right? That is a Hebrew word picture for biblical unity. And it basically is saying, uh, when the heat's turned up, we don't run from each other, we run to each other. All of us in life carry what I will say called two buckets in our hands. And one bucket is filled with water and the other bucket's filled with gasoline. And whenever we run into stresses and challenges and relational issues, we have a choice to make. Are we gonna throw the bucket of water on it or are we gonna throw the bucket of uh, gasoline on it? One's a unity builder, the other's a unity buster. And as I was sharing this with some collegians a while back, one said, I got an idea. How about if we just carry two buckets of water instead? Hmm? To strongly bolt the door. When the heat's turned up, we don't run from each other. We run to each other. And we work and cooperate more deeply together. That's what the Hungarian elders did. It saved the church. It brought salvation. And Jesus received the glory that he deserved. Now, now, the challenge to unity is just really simple. We're called to work and serve alongside imperfect people. <laughs> I mean, that's our challenge, isn't it, right? I mean, you know, um, people do dumb stuff. Amen? People do dumb stuff. Not everybody's perfect like you and I. Some of them are immature. Some of them have character issues, all right? When I was a kid, I heard this saying, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, won't that be glory? But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> People do dumb stuff. They're immature, they have character issues. And when God first calls us together and you become a part of a church and maybe you're becoming a part of a small group, you're becoming a part of a ministry or something like that. You're just getting to know each other and, and you see people's giftings and you see their talents and you see God working and, 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 and you're all excited, but it doesn't take long. Why did he say that? Where did they get that doctrine? How could they think that way? Or... I think we got a little character problem here. We start noticing one another's foibles and idiosyncrasies, and it's so tempting to say, I'm out. And if you ever felt that way, you're not alone. I mean, go to, go to the book of Acts at the end of chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas say, we're out. And that which the scripture says, we're brought together, Acts 13 to serve together on the first, they, God spoke and said, separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I've called them to do. And in Acts chapter 15 at the end, it says, Paul and Barnabas separated themselves. God worked through it and God redeemed it and God does know how to work all things together for good, but those were painful days and tough times. So when God first calls us together to serve together, to grow alongside each other, 
we begin to notice things. And that, that scripture that I didn't put on the board, but it comes to mind, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Um, if any man's in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Isn't that right? Old things have passed away and new things have come. Better translation uh, with verb tenses. Old things have passed and are passing away. New things have come and are coming. That kind of describes my life. How about you? I mean, when I got saved, I didn't become perfect. I'm still working out my salvation. I'm still working through character issues. I'm still doing everything I can to grow in Jesus. And that's all of us in this room. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of Proverbs, described our lives like cities and walls. And in that time, in Old Testament times, most cities had a wall of protections built around them. And on the walls, there would sit watchmen. And the watchman's job was to be on the lookout for danger and for enemy attack and anything that would try to breach the city and cause destruction. And that was their job. In Isaiah 62, look it up when you get home. Isaiah is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about Jerusalem and how, what Jerusalem used to be and how broken and battered it was. And it was like, it, it was a city broken down. And, 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 and he promises, he says, on your walls, Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. And they're not gonna give me any rest day and night. They're gonna be on guard. They're gonna intercede until Jerusalem becomes a praise in all the earth again. He talks about healing and restoration for the city and all that. Watchmen played a key role. Parts of our world today, they're still watchmen. You go to the nation of India and you go to the great cities of India, you go to the squatter camps and the barrios and the, and the depressed areas and there are men that are assigned to walk the perimeter of an area and all night long as they walk, there's a cadence or tacking, tapping a stick, stick on the ground. They're the watchmen. And if suddenly there's no tapping of that cadence, everybody within the circumference knows something's up, pay attention. Watchmen. And it says in Proverbs 16, he who rules his spirit is greater than he that takes a city. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city broken down without walls is a man who does not control his spirit. Picture that. Like a city broken down without walls is a man who does not control his spirit. So your life, my life, the Bible pictures it like a city with a wall around it. And the truth is, is that when we come to Christ, all of us have low spots in the wall. All of us have places where the enemy can pretty easily breach. And God, by his spirit and word, is trying to build up those low areas so they're not points of vulnerability anymore. But when we begin to gather together and meet together and work together, you know, we begin to notice these low spots in each other's lives, and that's human nature, and that's the way we are. We're all under construction. But when we, you know, think of a friend, it's like, I could drive a Mack truck through that hole in his wall. If that's the case, in that moment, we got a choice to make. We can either grab our tape measures and say, man, can, come on, can, can you, can, do you see the size of the hole in this guy's wall in his life? Or we can do this. We can say, enemy, God has called me to be a watchman on the wall of my brother's life. This is a unity builder. And enemy, I want you to know, 
if you try to attack my brother through this low spot, you're going to have to come through me. That's my commitment to him. And until that time that God, by his word and spirit, has a chance to build this up, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to be a watchman. This is my commitment. Brother, sister, I commit my love to you. That's the heart of unity. That's the heart of John 17. As we walk and work together, we have a choice to make. And as we take our stand in the gap in each other's lives, in this way, you and I become part of the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Father, make them one that the world may know. So unity and humility attract the person and power of the Holy Spirit. The devil doesn't fear a big church. He fears a united one, all right? Uh, several years ago, Columbia, my Columbia partner, Helmon, and I, um, we are with the Guajibo tribe, tribe of over 50,000 up on the Venezuelan border. It's remote, and it's very unique, and, and the church was beginning to be planted there. And there were eight or ten pastors there, and they all brought what they call their Timothys those five to eight young leaders that they're discipling to become church planners themselves. And so we had four or five glorious days. And man, you think it's hot outside here today? It was like start at eight in the morning. And what it was, I would teach with interpreter. And then we bring cultural application to the topic. And then we do question and answer. Then we pray. And then we teach all day long till night. All day long. One evening, I felt God just press on my part, heart to talk about biblical unity, and we talked about some of the things we're talking about today. And as we got to the question and answer, a little guy in the front row, after he got up and right in front of me, um, I didn't see it, but there was a scorpion. He stepped on it, went back to his seat, and raised his hand. And he said, um, this is interesting we're talking about this tonight because we have never had any distance between us. But he said, just a couple of weeks ago, a denomination came through and said, if you just put the name of our denomination on the doors of your church, we'll give you some resources that you need. These are very impoverished guys. Just, I hate it. And he says, we're conflicted now because we need the resources, but it doesn't feel right. What do we do? We went to prayer. One of the great memory moments of my life was to see those 100 leaders in this dirt floor, no wall, little building out in the middle of nowhere, link arm in arm in rows of eight to 10. And they just began marching back and forth through that building, singing at the top of their lungs. And I said to my translator, what are they, what are they singing about? And he said, oh, they're singing about their love for God their love for each other, and how they're never going to let anybody or anything divide them in the work that they've been called to do together for God. The next year I was back. We were asked to go back to the Guajibo tribe again. I had a few pastors from America with me. And this time, as we were doing a conference, I said, hey, about an hour from here, there's about 500 believers gathered. They want you to come and teach for the day. This was just spontaneous. When they say it's about an hour away, take it with a grain of salt. We were about an hour in a truck, in the back of a pickup truck, hanging on for our lives. That got us to the river. 
And then we got into canoes and went about 45 minutes downriver. And that was interesting because the pastors that I, that I brought, I was probably the smallest of the three. And you can displace a lot of water in those little dugout canoes. And it's like the water level's like right here, you know? <laughs> but we wove our way through mangroves and they had an hour hike in the heat to get to this building. And when we walked in the building, I noticed outside there were like 15 or 20 of these tall, skinny poles with these colorful flags on it, uh, and about 20 feet in the air. And then there was one that was tall. It was just a white flag. And I thought, that's interesting. We go in, we spend the day in ministry. We had a great day. And they said, come on, we're going to wrap up. We went outside and all the people, 500, created this big circle around these flags. And I thought, what's going on here? This is interesting. Suddenly, suddenly the circle opened up and in walked two people or two groups carrying two new flags. And I said to our, our interpreter, I said, what, what are they doing? They said, well, they said, these, are, these flags here all represent the churches that have been planted that are here. The tallest flag represents Jesus. They said, and these two groups are being prayed for right now because they're going to leave here and walk several days to new locations where the church has never been before. They're going to walk in the middle of those little villages. They're going to plant that flag in the ground, and they're going to say to that community, today the church of Jesus Christ has come to you. And I thought last year, they made a fresh commitment to unity. Today, they're sending out new church planting teams where the gospel has never been before. What did Jesus pray? Father, make them one that the world may know that you sent me. Hmm. That prayer, Father, make them one that the world may know that you sent me. I've often wondered about this. Is that the only prayer that Jesus can't answer? I think it might be. It's the only prayer that Jesus can't answer, and he looks to you and I as his followers. I hear him saying, will you help me on this one? Will you, by the way you live your life and relate to others and go deeper with others and pursue active unity as the family of God, will, will you help me on this one? Will you help be a part of the answer to my prayer, Father, make them one that the world may know that you sent me? There's a final scripture on the board, and we're done. I just want to read Paul's encouragement to the church at Ephesus. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. It attracts the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called with one, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see what I see? One, 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 one. The priority of unity and the family of God to bring the life and blessing of God all over the world. So for the sake of our shared mission and God's reputation and glory, here's four quick things. Let's connect to others according to who they are in Christ versus distancing ourselves based upon preferences and differences. Here's number two. 
Always believe in, promote, and pray for each other. Here's number three. Proactively work together to bring God's healing love to your community, city, and world. And finally, be the answer to Jesus' prayer. Father, make them one that the world may know that you sent me. I want us to pray. And I want us to pray for unity before the band leads us in a final song. And right where you are, I, I'm not gonna ask us to stand and link arms like the, Hungar- like the, like the Guajibo leaders, all right? But I am gonna ask for all of us in this moment to pray for the unity of the church, to pray for healing and wholeness in relationships, and to pray that Jesus is glorified by the way that we do life together in this community. Father, we come to you in the all-powerful name of Jesus. And just go ahead, right where you are, just you pray while I am, all right? Not a spectator. Let's all just intercede right now. Lord Jesus, we, we ask that we, would, that we would relate to one another based on who we are in Christ. Lord, give us the grace to work on deeper, deeper levels together that we might bring your healing, love, and grace to our community. Lord God, we pray for broken relationships right now. We pray for for damaged relationships, God. We pray that by your spirit that you would move in. We pray, God, for, for a humility that will bring a new unity to these relationships. God, there's no, there's no act of disunity that a greater act of humility can't start a healing in. So God, I pray that if that's going on, that somebody would just say, God, help me to humble myself to start the process. God, we thank you that this unity is not something the world can experience because it is a unity of the spirit and it's strong and it's tight and it makes a difference in our lives. And God, I pray that that Psalm 133 blessing that you command life forevermore would be the experience the experience of grace crossing in the weeks and months to come, God. May there be a deeper unity, that there might be a deeper expression of your love and grace in this community. Father, help us to be one practically, that the world may know, that Beaver Creek may know, that Dayton may know that you sent Jesus to this world. And we ask it in Christ's name. Can we all say amen together? Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.